The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. If you are new to The Refuge, we are reading through the Bible uh, using the Bible Project material. You can find it on your phone through the Read Scripture app and and so this means that we're spending three quarters of our year in the Old Testament. And, and that is kind of a daunting task. Three quarters of your year, probably in, in the portion of Scripture that, that you can avoid a lot. Or, or you know, uh, just find like it's this jungle of theology that you don't necessarily know what to do with. And the big question today is, what do we do with a God who seems unfamiliar? A God who that we have come to know in the person of Jesus Christ, and then we're reading how he creates the world, and then how he calls out people for himself, um, how he leads them to a land, they conquer that land, and all these things that are happening, that all, you know, as we read, we go, man, I, I don't know how to make sense of this God that seems so unfamiliar. And so there's a couple things I want to do to start today uh, to help us with that. And then the first is to talk about our theological formation. What I mean by that is that uh, theology simply means uh, the study of God or coming to know God. And so what does your theological formation look like as you read the scripture? And the first thing I want to challenge you with, if you're following along your notes, is this, that let your view of God grow as you read the Bible. Let your, view, let your theology expand as you read the Bible. What do I mean by this? What I mean by this is that some of us, I think especially those who, who grew up maybe in a Sunday school class where they, they had this, these ideas of God that were really basic, like, is God good? Yes, God's good. You know, did God create the world? Yeah, he did. You know, and, and we, we have this very, maybe by a young age, this kind of airtight seal, this is who God is. And, and you know, like a lot of things, like learning languages or other things that when we're young, we just, we soak it in quick and we hold on to it. And those things form us and shape us and we carry throughout our whole lives. And sometimes we respond to situations or react to them now in ways that we were shaped as a child. Like right now when you talk, for most of us, I have a hard time talking sometimes, but, but you know, when you talk, you don't really have to think about it a lot. You just, you're not like, shape the idea express the idea. You know, it, it, thankfully it doesn't happen like that. And, and that's how we interact with God a lot is that, is that we, we have an idea of him that we pray to and that we worship. And so when we come to a, a, a God in, in uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and throughout the Old Testament that seems unfamiliar, we're like, it just kind of hits this, well, it doesn't, it can't enter into our airtight definition of who he is already. Does that make sense? So, so what I'm encouraging you to do is let your idea of God grow, that, that God has inspired people who wrote the Bible to, to talk about him in this way, and so we're getting to have an accurate view of him. So what do we do when he's unfamiliar? Well, the second thing I want to encourage you in your theological formation is that you don't have to let go of Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus as you're reading the Old Testament. And that is a gift to us who get to live on this side of the incarnation, this side of God becoming 
flesh, God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And so I, I have felt, I don't know if, if you ever feel this way, but I've felt as I read the Old Testament sometimes that I have to, to get to really get the culture and get it accurately, I sort of have to let go and like wait for him. But that's not how we on this side of the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus, God taking on flesh, how we understand it. The way we understand it is not forgetting him to accurately understand it, but it's us anticipating him every step along the way, right? So we get, this is such a gift, such a gift that you get to read the whole Old Testament, all 39 books of it, anticipating Jesus, waiting for him, excited about him, because they did too, okay? Ever since we get Genesis 3 and we, we anticipate God who would come and crush crush Satan's work, they also anticipated a Messiah and a Savior that would come. And we get to know him. So don't block out of your head Jesus and be like, you don't come yet, right? No, you get to go, man, I'm so glad Jesus is coming. I'm so glad Jesus came, right? Read it that way. And so you you don't have to feel like you're lost. Like let, let Jesus be your guide, through the jungle of the Old Testament. Tweet that. <laughs> Let Jesus be your guide through the jungle of the Old Testament. That's what theological formation looks like. So what do we do with this God who looks so unfamiliar? Well, the big idea today is this, that we get to know God as much as he gives us. We get to know God as much as he gives us or as much as he tells us about himself, that's the only way we really get to know him. So what do we do with what he tells us about himself? Well, before we dive in, I want to, to talk about in, in Exodus 34, 14, the way God names himself. And he actually does this also in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 when he's giving uh, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And he says that he's a jealous God. He says this again in Exodus 34, 14. And this is the way that it reads. It says, Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. What do we do with this God who is jealous? Um, I think what we hear way more often is God is love, which it says in 1 John. God is love, and, and we talk about that a lot, and we hear about that a lot. But so what do we do with a God who is jealous, whose name is jealous? Well, what this jealousy means is, I want, I want to tell you about in three ways. The first is that the way we worship him is particular. The God is particular about the way that we worship him. It's not anything goes. It matters how we worship, and it matters that we follow what he says when we worship. And that's, that's, that will help with some of our confusion as we go through the Old Testament and, and law after law after law about this is how you, you know, kill the lamb. Sprinkle it all around. Right? I, think, I think it was Kirstie used to that recently. I remember being just like, just kill the lamb, sprinkle the blood. Kill lamb, sprinkle blood, right? Like it feels like that's what so much of it is. And, and what God is doing is he's saying, God is very particular about the way we approach him. 
God is very particular about the way we approach him, and he still is particular about the way that we approach him. God is also protective. That's what it means for him to be a jealous God. He is protective of us. It matters who we worship. And that's why he says here, don't have any other gods before me for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He's protective of his people because it's for his glory that we worship. It's not for our glory. And he's, he's jealous for his name. He's also passionate. We have a passionate God who is passionate about us getting to know him and he expresses himself in very passionate ways and and I think that can scare us because when we see God passionate we can be like whoa slow down right when we see God come in fire on Mount Sinai and we're like man can you be a little more approachable it's overwhelming how passionate and zealous the word jealous here also can be translated zealous We have a a passionate God, passionate, and it matters that we worship him. And you get this refrain through the whole Testament, and you hear this uh, when Moses calls the people out of Egypt, and he says, let them come so they can worship the Lord. He is calling his people. He's passionate that we worship him, and it's for our good. And, and this is really important as we study the Old Testament, that it is, it is dangerous, and this is one of the harder things under it. It is dangerous when worship goes wrong. And so this God seems unfamiliar when we see a God who gets angry, or a God that the word wrath is ascribed to, or a God who, when people worship incorrectly, they die. And I think those are the, I, I just said it! Right? Those are the hardest things as we enter into the Old Testament. What do we do with a God who gets angry and a God who people die when they worship wrongly? And we see this in the scripture we read this week, Exodus 32, when they have worshipped this golden calf that they've made. And then this is what happens. It says, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron let them get out of control and so they became a laughing stock to their enemies. This is 32, 25 to 29. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied around him. And then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth throughout the camp from one end to the other, killing his brother and friend and neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. That's, that's, I think, what we read oftentimes when we're like, whoa, whoa. Slow down. God is commanding this? How can God do it? God is love. How do we understand this God? And, and I, I think we just, I, I can, I can clam up and I think, man, God, you seems like you're overreacting. It seems like you're making worship way more important than I, I ever thought worship was. And, and when I thought of this idea of overreacting, I, the picture that came to mind was, Imagine a, a mother who, or father who sees their child running towards the road, this busy road where there's traffic. And, and this child is going so fast, they know that child's going to run into traffic. And so if you see this mother or father watching their child run towards the road, what does this parent do? This parent screams and gets hysterical, and they run, Stop! 
right? That's, they go crazy, and they, they can't get there fast enough. And what would you do if you saw that? You watching, would you go, oh, you're overreacting again. Right? No, the way you don't get, because like, you, honestly, you'd probably be like, oh, stop, right? But, but what you don't get is what that parent feels who loves that child and doesn't want that child to die. That parent is jealous for their child. And, and, and God being jealous for you, saying, there, you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, it's better to die than worship an idol. And, and I, I think that's, it's so hard for us to get how important worship is because worship is like, well, I don't want to go this Sunday morning and sing. I don't know. Sometimes I don't like the songs. Right? When God is like, let my people go so that they can worship me. And then when they, when they don't listen to his word, they, they worship a golden calf and they die. It's because we have a jealous God who is passionate, passionate and protective and particular about the way worship happens. And, and I, it's, it's hard to get. It's hard to get and understand a jealous God. But if we do, we will be so helped as we read the Old Testament. So helped reading the Old Testament. And, and, <laughs> and we so long for Jesus that we see the jealousy of God. Right, We get to see the fullness of the story. We see the jealousy of God pour out wrath on his son and by his wounds we are healed. This is, this is the story. We get to see the full arc of it. And that's exciting. That jealousy of God does not go away in the New Testament. And I think that's important to see. We see in the particular of worship, we see Jesus say, and repeating from the Old Testament, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We see in the book of Revelation about the protectiveness. He says, you're neither hot nor cold, so I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Right? Passion, we see in Jesus when he approaches the temple, he says, zeal for my house will consume me. So the jealousy of God hasn't gone away. I think it really exposes sometimes how we, we fall asleep in our faith or we don't see God for who he is or who he says he is, but we, we still just create for ourselves what worship actually looks like. So, so let your struggle with the Old Testament become a relevant current struggle with maybe your worship now. So, <clears throat> Exodus 32 through 34 is where we're jumping into today. Learning to worship. The people have seen God come down. They've seen him lead them through a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And then before we get to 32, the last time they see him, they see God come down and fire on Mount Sinai. And Moses approaches God. And for 40 days and 40 nights, Moses is with God. And, and between that, that chapter 21 and, and 32, what we have is Moses hearing from God. And yet the people of Israel are just waiting this time. And, and while they are waiting, <clears throat> um, it says this. It kind of closes out chapter 31 and verse 18. It says, when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave the two tablets of the covenant of the law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So we, like Moses has had this really special time with God. Meanwhile, in the camp, this is what's going on. 
Um, it says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. So long, 40 days, so long. Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Do you hear kind of the tone? I know there's no emojis in here, but you see, you see like, like the tone of this? As for this fellow Moses, <laughs> they have followed this man out of Egypt, and now he's just this fellow who for 40 days has been gone. We don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered, this is, remember, Aaron is, he is Moses' brother. And he answers them, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol, cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Okay, and that's important that they fashion the thing with a tool because that's not what Aaron says later. And we'll, we'll see that. So then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. These are your gods. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drank and got up to indulge in revelry. So the first thing I want you to see in this is misdirected worship or what we can also call following the wrong feeling. Because I think it's easy to mock them. It's easy to mock them because, you know, it's a transition of one verse between us seeing God inscribe the Ten Commandments and speak with Moses and then them in the camp who've been waiting for 40 days and they're getting a little restless. And as they get restless, they start feeling forgotten. They start feeling alone They start feeling like everything that they've experienced is false. And this is important because we also follow our feelings. We are feelers for the most part. I know some of you are like, don't feel nothing, right? (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's not a good thing. Um, (laughs) For the rest of us, (laughs) <laughs> our feelers, right? Like we, we get this. We feel, when we feel alone or we feel lonely, we, we act on those feelings. Oftentimes what we talk about in social services or other things, when we, even when we talk about mission work, we talk about like meeting felt needs, right? And what that means is sometimes to just to get a hearing with somebody, what we do is, you know, <clears throat> good example, me, right? If I'm angry because I'm hungry, if I'm hangry, then you have to feed me before we can have a conversation, right? You're meeting my felt need, right? And, and so what's going on here is that, that their felt need is that they feel lost. They feel alone. They feel forgotten. But what they do with that feeling, with that felt need, is that they solve it for themselves. Now, what, are, what is our big idea? That we get, we get to know God as much as he gives us, Right? It's not what we take for ourselves, not what we get for ourselves, but that's what they do. And and the interesting thing is that going about it their way is they think, I really believe, reading commentaries, 
understanding the scripture and the words that are being used is that they think that this, this thing they're forming, this golden calf, they are, they're trying to represent Yahweh in the calf, right? They're not, they're not going, well, we're, we're just going to, whatever about that God, and we're going we're gonna to make a God of the Canaanites or the Egyptians. They're going, we just want to see Yahweh. We want to see him. And so they, they make an idol and they go, okay, now we just see him. He's in our midst, Right? And yet, as they start doing it, and, and think about how we do this in our lives. Like, like God, I know, you, you, I know you're calling me to worship you. And, okay. and so then you sit down and you're like, okay, I'm going to pray. And you kneel down because you're like, that's what good Christians do. And you kneel down to pray and you get distracted. And you're like, okay, God, I'm going to write out my prayers via text. Right? And so you're like, sweet. And so then you start texting your prayers and you're like, Oh, but I need to text Nate something, right? So I, I find a sweet gif, and I send it to Nate, you know, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, what am I doing? Nothing I should be doing, right? But, but okay, and that's kind of silly, but honestly, they didn't have texting back then. They, they had <laughs> earrings, and they made them into gold calves, but... And, and we, we joke about that, but literally that's how our hearts work too. We're like, God, I feel lonely. I need something to represent you. And so we get something to represent us. And it could be something that we think is good. Instead of reading the Bible, you just read, you know, your daily bread devotion book or whatever. It's these things that we do that, that all of a sudden just become substitute for God himself. And they substitute for God himself, right? Gold isn't bad. Cows aren't bad, but an idol's bad. But it's, it really is a state of their hearts that rather than waiting on God, rather than waiting the word that Moses will bring, rather than trusting him, what they do is they try to take it for themselves. And we do that same thing. We just, we take it and we, we end up making a God in our image. We make a God in an image that is, is something we can control because if God is out of our control, it freaks us out. Right? If we have to wait on God instead of God waiting on us, it, it absolutely terrifies us. And our felt need is, is it's scary. And so that's where they, they get this misdirected worship, trying to, to take God for ourselves. And, and I think this is the result of every sin, even we find in our own lives, is, is efforts to take God or even just the feeling of his presence for ourselves instead of waiting upon him. What does it look like to wait? Wait upon the Lord. Such a beautiful refrain that we get throughout the Old Testament is to, to wait. And the New Testament, wait upon the Lord. And we see that in Jesus, to wait upon the Lord. <clears throat> to trust him in that way. As the people go through these things, we see two models of leadership. Two ways that, that they are led. And one, obviously, is Aaron and the other is Moses. Um, Aaron, who is full of very silly excuses, and then Moses, who is an intercessor between God. So Aaron's role here is that, <clears throat> that the people come to him and they say, you know, we don't know about this fellow Moses. And I think that really kind of scratches some of Aaron's ego. He's like, yes, I'm your guy, right? And so, so he, they come and, and he leads them. And, 
and makes this calf for them, this golden calf for them, this idol for them, with tools. And, and I, just to, in a short time, expose his silliness, I want you to see this, uh, what he says in Exodus 21 through 24. In Exodus 21 through 24, um, Moses has come down. He sees what has happened. He says to Moses, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Moses is like, hey, like, you heard from God too. Like, remember, God called you to meet me in the desert, to go with me to Egypt so we could do this together. What did they, how did this happen? And listen to Aaron, this one model of leadership, which is not my fault. That, that's Aaron's model of leadership. He says, don't be angry, my Lord. And I want you to hear these three excuses. You know how prone these people are to evil. That's the first thing. You know these guys. Them. Right? <laughs> they said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up from Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold and jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came a calf. Right? And, and so this is, this is their excuses. The, the first is, um, you know these people. The second is, they were so persuasive. They just had the best reasoning. And the third was, uh, you won't believe this, Moses, but we literally just threw everything in the fire and voila, out, out came a golden calf. And, and that, that is one model of leadership. And, and honestly, I think at one point, Moses was there. Like, this is why today's sermon is Man Meets God Part 2, because two weeks ago, we saw Moses in that same place, right? When, when he comes and he sees God and he meets God in the burning bush, and all he is is full of excuses. We see Moses three times say to God, I can't talk. My, my lips don't work. I get nervous. Like, he's like, I'm just not your person. And, and he is full of excuses. And so Moses has been there. He has participated in that model of leadership. But something has changed in Moses that now Moses passionately advocates for the people, knowing the presence of God, knowing who God is, knowing the character and nature of God, Moses intercedes for the people. And so uh, check out Exodus 32, 7 through 14. It's this very interesting passage that I think can be challenging to read. It says, the Moses, Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed it to it and said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And the Lord says to Moses, I've seen the people and they are stiff-necked. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So before we go on, I want you to see really quick. Um, I really believe, I think with everything we see, right, we read all our verses in context. It's very important. I, I really believe that we see God testing Moses here like we see in the past God testing Abraham and and God testing Job and other people that God, God is testing to, to show them what is in them, how God has transformed their hearts. Because this is one thing that we understand. God says to Moses, now leave me. 
right? Which is, which is really funny because Moses can't leave God, right? Moses has tried in the past and God's like, can't do that, right? And so God doesn't like, he's not asking Moses permission, doesn't need to ask Moses permission, but he shows him what he's doing to test what's in Moses because Moses in the past would have been, screw him. That was Moses' heart. By the end of his 40, 40 years in the desert, when God comes, he's like, not your guy, no longer want your people saved, I'm okay. And now God has done something in Moses and he's, he's drawing it out of him that this is Moses' response. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord and he says, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people who have been brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountain, to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring disaster on the people. And we see, repeated over and over again, what God's plan was. We see it like, Rock solid in Matthew 1 when we see the genealogy of Jesus and how that works and how the line is through Judah. And right, like this is, we've seen how it works and we've seen how God says it will work and it does that. So I really see God here saying, Moses, do you see the man I've made you? This is incredible. Two clear models of leadership as Moses, who once wanted nothing more to do with the people, now pleads for the people. And this is incredible as we see people, men and women of scripture who have come to desire God and in desiring God, their hearts are being changed to be compassionate, full of mercy, like God, to plead on behalf of people rather than just live selfishly and in isolation from others. The third thing is this, that we're gonna see Moses meeting with God again. Last time, Exodus 3, if you were here two weeks ago, what we saw was Moses no longer wanting a part of God's plan, walking lonely in the desert, and God meets with him. And and God who expresses himself and says, I will send you, I will be with you, this is who I am. And Moses says, but tell me more about myself. I feel so inadequate. Check out what we see in Exodus 3. chapter 33. In Exodus 33, we see Moses who once saw God as terrifying, now sees God as the great desire of his heart. God who once was terrifying, uh, once a terrible God, now to the great desire of his heart. And this is so beautiful to see, and I think it's so hopeful to see. And the first, first way we see this is, is Moses meeting with God in what's called the tent of meeting. So after everything happened with the golden calf, Moses, who has pitched this tent on the outside of camp, goes out to it, and everyone, it says, they come and they stand to watch. When Moses goes into this tent, they're just watching. They know that, that this man Moses is about to meet with God. And says, now Moses used to pinch a tent on the outside of camp, the tent of meeting, Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. 
And whenever Moses went out to the temple, all the, this is so cool. All the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tent to watch Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. And while the Lord spoke with Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. Isn't that incredible? The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp. But this time it says his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses, who once avoided God, now approaches God. Have you seen that transition in your life? And Moses, who once, when God showed himself, God showed himself to Moses, Moses recoiled from God. Now watch as we proceed and we see what happened in this this, uh, setting as we go into verse 12. It says, Moses says to the Lord, you are telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And I love this because Moses, all he wants now, and this is, if you were here two weeks ago, like, this is such a contrast from Moses of Exodus 3, who he's not really interested in God. He, he's not. And now Moses is saying, man, saying, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. And the Lord replies, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said, See, this is cool. Lord says, my presence will go with you. But then Moses' response is, he's like, so adamant. If your presence does not go with us, don't send us. Like, I want you. I want you. That's, that is the desire of my heart. And Moses, as it goes on, it says, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and know you by name. And then Moses says, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. This, this is this incredible transformation of men and women in the Bible. When they, when they first meet with God and and the fear and the terror and the uncertainty that we have. And, and I don't know if you've seen this in your life. I, I find, I think, a lot of times for, for those who come to know Jesus, it can oftentimes happen in a, in, a, in a weird way where I think sometimes when we first really meet Jesus, there's this incredible sense of joy. And then I think we sometimes enter into this phase where we learn the fear of the Lord, and then, and then we kind of come out on the other side where we are literally just adamant, show me your glory. Right, that movement in the life of a Christian that is incredible to see that I've found freedom in him and then God gently starts teaching us his ways and showing us who we really are and then we go like this, we go, you still want me? Really? You want me? Like you just showed me how screwed up I am. And God says yes and, and as a result of that, I think we see this in Moses, then we just say, Show me yourself. I want to know you more. And that's this theological formation where we let ourselves come to know God more. Where that airtight box that we, we know that maybe we're holding on to our five-year-old idea of who God is, that God starts revealing himself to us. And, we, and this is 
This is the eternal desire of a heart that seeks God. Because the amazing thing, one of the coolest things to dwell on is that God, who is an infinite and eternal God, will not, your heart, I think even in heaven, won't be fully satiated with knowing him. It's like as you get to heaven for eternity, you're going to be getting to know him more and more. In heaven, you're going to be saying, show me more of your glory. Show me more of your glory. Right? It won't be we get to heaven and you're like, glory filled up. Right? No, it's going to be like we get to heaven and we just, we desire him and, and we will be able to hold more of his glory, right? Right now we feel that in our flesh and our souls, we, are, we feel wasting away, right? But there where we no longer have these bodies and souls that are just like corrupted, right? we take on the incorruptible nature of our heavenly bodies and we get to stand in the presence of God, we get to cry out, show me more, give me more, give me more of your glory, Right? And that, that is a taste of heaven on earth. Is this cry, show me your glory. When we, we begin to taste and see who God is. And we stop just saying, show me me. And we say, show me you. And he transforms us as we see him transforming Moses, a man who was, was lonely and felt like he had nothing to offer the world into someone who humbly leads the people of God. Uh, the amazing thing that we see as we enter into the New Testament is what Moses experienced when he's in this tent of meeting, meeting with God, is available to all, us, all of us as we read 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, Now we all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. Because Moses, after he dwelt with God, had to put a veil on his face. And now, as we receive the Spirit of God, we get to have this interaction with him. So I, I want to encourage you, invite you into God's presence this week to seek him in a special way. Love you guys. Pray with me. Oh God, we... We love you. And I think we approach you sometimes with such confidence because we, we understand your heart of love and the story of the, like the prodigal son that you run to greet us. God, show us a glimpse of your jealousy to understand that you are fiercely passionate for the glory of your name and you've invited us be passionate for the glory of your name. Show us what it means to worship, not what we can get for ourselves, but what you've given to us. Teach us your ways so we can walk in them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.